cool. Uh, so, uh, hi all. Uh, thank you for joining the session. Thanks to Dave and Daniela for doing this. Uh, special thanks to Dave as well for first uh, to set the context. Right, as I said, uh, last year doing our Canada's uh, summit in uh, in November, we had a session on uh, Doga report, uh, right, where uh, you presented some of the findings of, of, of what Doga report is in 2021 uh, after the pandemic and all those things, and a little bit going to the history of Doga report, where Google, uh, this is kind of the you know, first of the kind of report from uh, Google after taking over Doga, right? Uh, one of the things that we uh, uh, felt was, you know, we wanted our community members to understand what goes behind this report, right? Uh, uh, that is, the report comes out from different organizations, DOGA being the primary in DevOps, uh, uh, without a doubt, uh, and people absorb it, the industry absorbs it, uh, right? But uh, we wanted to you know, uh, understand if there's something, some gap into it. If so, how we know, uh, how the... Uh, uh, the, the report preparers actually perceives the uh, report uh, to be observed and how the industry is being observing it, right? So that's the uh, kind of primary agenda that we thought, which we kind of uh, can bring this as a discussion and help the community members understand more, uh, right? So that's the whole background about it. Perhaps uh, how we can go ahead is, uh, you know, if uh, you and Daniela can give a short introduction about yourselves, what you do in your current roles in uh, Google and, you know, uh, your involvement in preparing this Doga report, uh, then we can go ahead with the discussion uh, if that works for you, Dave. Great. Absolutely. Um, well, since I'm talking, I'll go first. Uh, I'm Dave Stanky. I'm a developer advocate uh, with Google Cloud. I'm based in Jersey City, New Jersey, and I, I work with our customers on DevOps and SRE kinds of topics, trying to help Google Cloud customers uh, understand best practices, uh, learn from the community, learn from each other, learn from the research uh, that we do with Dora, um, and and I generally you know just help to socialize these ideas. And uh, as part of that work, I do a lot of kind of miscellaneous things around Dora uh, that involve um, bringing it to various audiences. Daniela. Yeah. Um, hi, everyone. I'm Daniela. I am a user experience researcher uh, at Google Cloud, and my I'm fairly new to DevOps and Dora. Um, I started last year, and essentially my involvement is on the research side of things. So Dave kind of helps evangelize and, and show this the findings into the world, and what we do is kind of try to identify and figure out how to ask questions, so what kind of questions to ask, um, and and kind of help shape the survey, and then analyze the data after. So that's been my role, um, kind of in the, in the behind the, the scenes aspect of it, uh, and then help write the report. Great, great. Uh, okay, so perhaps let's start with from the basics, right? Uh, from your perspective, uh, Dave and Daniela, I'm okay with whoever picks up this question and, and goes for, forward. Uh, why do we need these kind of reports in the industry today? Uh, right? What is the importance or significance that these kind of reports provide to the industry today? Daniela, you want to kick us off? Yeah. Um, so, so the question is, what's the importance of the report? Yeah, in general, it need not be very specific to Doga reports, but there are uh, many industry reports coming in, uh, uh, right? Uh, it could be from the cloud, from DevOps, from various other, uh, from digital aspects and all those things. But predominantly, well, you know, what is the kind of significance that these kind of reports uh, hold today in the industry? Yeah, I think, so from the beginning, 
um, when Dora first started, the idea was to kind of understand where the industry was, kind of what is happening um, and what, how technology helps organizations get better. And, and from what I understand, there wasn't really a cohesive way of, of understanding the, the, the DevOps, the industry as a whole. Maybe reports here and there, maybe small companies doing their own, but nothing that looked at DevOps in a more broad, large way. Uh, so I think that's that's the, the beginning of it. Um, and the importance of it, in addition to just providing that framework of understanding the, the industry as a whole, is to provide a, not ground truth, because the service do not provide ground truth, but it provides um, a place where we know the data is, is rigorous, is, is collected in a way that we can trust it, and we can help point the industry in specific directions and say, this is kind of what the data is showing, this is what we're looking at, and that in addition to communication with the community and all of that helps kind of shape and steer the, the survey. I kind of running all directions there, but you a lot of good directions. But you know, one of them that I wanted to to, to say is a really great points about um about like rigor and trust, right? Uh, the the software industry, or perhaps just all of the industries, because everyone you know is doing software these days, and software is really important to every business these days. Uh, but software engineering ha has been, I think, really mysterious for a long time, even to those of us doing it. How do we measure success? Uh, you know, when is it done? <laughs> We're not answering that question with Dora, but you know, these, some of these really are hard questions and it's compared to other kinds of work or even other kinds of engineering, it can be really mysterious, especially to those outside of the software engineering teams. Um, and I, I know I've had plenty of bosses and stakeholders who are trying their best or maybe even not trying their best to understand what the heck we do and, um, you know, I struggle sometimes with grumpiness to say you don't get it. Th this report really starts from a framework of, of what the business needs, why software exists. You know, we, we don't take that for granted, right? And in, what we do is we position the work inside of that and say software development is predictive of business success. Um, software development is here to deliver value to users. And then we go inwards from there to say, well, okay, how do we make that go well? Because that's something that software teams are interested in. It's also something that the uh, people who pay the paychecks to software teams are interested in. And I love that the, the work allows us to kind of align between those groups on what's the point of us being here and how do we get good at it? Cool. Just taking from your point, when we, when these kind of, industry reports are produced, there is a lot of work that goes in the uh, back of, right? A uh, lot of efforts, which might be, you know, which might go unnoticed at some time, right? Uh, what kind of efforts do you think, you know, is uh, that goes in and how does this kind of, you know, uh, how, how does, you know, the, the team works in uh, get, getting these kind of uh, uh, reports published? Yeah, let me give you a, a, a an overview of the whole Kind of the research process, uh, if I may, um, to answer the question about effort, it takes a village. This is a behemoth of a, of a project. Um, we have a lot of experts, uh, software um, sub subject matter experts that we consult with. Um, 
that's just one aspect. There's there's a lot of people involved. And it takes about nine months, almost mm -hmm. a year, I would say, from start planning to when the report gets released. And then after that, we go around and do road shows talking about the results and kind of how that compares to the previous year. But but essentially at the beginning, the planning stages start with a bunch of different areas of, of what what do we know about the previous you know report what are some gaps and some things that maybe we didn't get to uh, or areas that we want to dig deeper maybe conversations within the community the SRE for example it's something that component that hadn't been that hasn't been tested before until now but it's always been this kind of contention SRE DevOps which one so now you kind of okay let's let's tackle that let's ask that question Documentation. We know documentation is super important, but we hadn't asked that question yet. So there's a there's a balance between we want to ask the same the similar questions about you know self delivery performance, lead time, um, deployment frequency, and all of that. But then we want to expand on what we know, and that involves again a bunch of different people and information coming in, and then we sit down, look at the questions, create survey questions. And those get reviewed, and that takes I don't really think that 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 takes the longest. Um, just getting those questions um, well written, so that we we get to the we we ask the right question. You know, we ask the questions in a way that is unbiased. We don't want to bias. We want to be as neutral as possible, and that begins with asking questions in the most neutral possible way. Um, and then after we have the survey. We work with sponsors, and the idea is, and this is this is a very interesting part of the of the process, and one of the limitations, which is that the survey goes to people who know at least what DevOps is, which means is that that people that have never organizations that have never heard of DevOps are not are not completing the survey, which means that when we look at our low performers. There is another tier below that that we don't even touch. So I think that's like one of the biggest limitations of the survey is that. Um, but we can't teach DevOps when people are completing the survey. So it's a very, it's a very uh, deliberate decision to kind of not go there and instead of focus on people who at least know what DevOps is. Then in terms of how do we get people to complete the survey, that is, you know, email. Um, email blasts, some people do podcasts to say, hey, the survey is out, um, social media. We, we, work, we work with sponsors and they, uh, one of the things that they do is that they send out um, the survey to their, their connections, their network. So that's what, how we're getting, so it's a snowball effect, but it also means that it, it's people, no people, no people, no people, and that's how we get people completing the survey. Um, and, and it helps, you know, when we have someone that's an industry leader say, hey, take the survey, that has value. So that helps um, kind of spread the survey in the, in the most global way possible, knowing that we're going to miss certain spots. Um, we collect data for about a month or so. Uh, then we close the survey. You know, we analyze the data. Uh, there's already a pipeline that's built for that. Um, 
review the results, and then we start writing. Start writing, decide kind of what areas we want to focus on, what are the interesting findings, um, and then reports written, and then we release it after it's reviewed and, and all of those things, and then we, we go on the roadshow and talk about it, rinse and repeat. So hopefully that gave you a good overview of, of all the things involved. Yeah, yeah uh, I mean, uh, that actually describes you now what kind of efforts it goes, uh, and it's not small, right? It's going to be uh, humongous. And that leads to two questions uh, you know, for, for me. Uh, yeah, uh, we all know that Doga was an independent agency before Google took over, right? It was an independent entity publishing the reports. Uh, how much of it was a challenge for Google to inherit the kind of process that Doga did uh, earlier and uh, you know, getting it acclimatized to the Google way of doing the research, right? Uh, and my second is, this uh, perhaps is like a year-round job, right? Uh, the, uh, doing this complete research, uh, doing the surveys, collecting the details, writing it, publishing it, and then you know, uh, uh, marketing it to the public and all those things. Uh, what would be the, you know, uh, when we... Talk about a company like Google, right? That should be a return on investment, right? What would be a, uh, the return on investment for these kind of uh, reports? So I can cover that first one maybe uh, because uh, I was at Google as a fan of Dora and then uh, saw Dora come in, got very excited about that and feel, you know, sort of privileged to be able to work with something that I was uh, really respectful of. You know, I would say to your question, like, what's that? What's, what's it like bringing something like that into a, a big established company? And I think, um, you know, of course there's, you know, there's gonna be noise, uh, noise is great, you know, change is good. I would say it's really been very smooth in a lot of ways because Google by nature is, culturally we're very much a kind of a, a hive of independent entities. Uh, we have a lot of like startup kind of, uh, you know, mindset, even if we are giant and have plenty of systems and bureaucracy, we still believe a lot in, I think, autonomy. And and perhaps even more to the point, from the beginning and still today, Google has a very academic sort of mindset. Uh, you know, you'll see the way we do product development is often framed as experiments and we'll even do things where there's like uh, basic research where we don't know where it's gonna go in terms of a product. And, you know, we're fortunate that we we have the scale uh, and the resources to do that. And so it was pretty natural, I think, for Googlers to appreciate that this is a, a research entity. And, and I mean, heck, look, all of us wish uh, we could go back into the 60s and work at Xerox Park, right? And this is, you know, the same kind of thing. We got this cool science bureau inside our for-profit company and we we love to learn from them and then you know look at ways of when that when the science comes out how do we incorporate that into the products and we've had good partnerships there where the, the team is is great about you know helping communicate it to us in ways that are can be uh, can be absorbed by our customers and that, that's part of what i do right you know, bring take the science uh dumb it down and bring it out to our customers uh, any comments on uh, the return on investment, Dave? Uh, is that something that would work with the... I'm missing that word. Any comments on the, the which? Uh, the return on the investment, right? So Google assets invest in doing these kind of researches, right? Uh, uh, does that expect some kind of returns back from the uh, uh, industry community uh, that Google uh, works on? You know, 
I, I, I will say, um, I, I will plead ignorance and say that it's above my pay grade to decide uh, okay. you know, how much how much to fund it and how much you know how how we expect a return from it. I know that in my mind, uh, there's a ton of value to Google to our customers to myself. Uh, making that judgment, I'm glad that they did. Got it. <laughs> got it. Got it. Yep. Uh, okay, probably you know, uh, slightly deviating from the uh, points that you shared, uh, right? Uh, probably this question is more to Daniel. Uh, Daniel, Dave was mentioning that you know you work more on the cultural aspects of the reports, uh, right? Uh, so, I mean, culture, in my opinion, has always been a kind of you know an unsung hero or something that has been you know for uh, to a certain extent to be neglected as well, uh, right? Uh, how do you bring in the, you know, from your experience, how do you bring in the cultural aspect in these kind of reports? So culture, culture is super interesting, right? And, and, and DevOps is about people when you kind of distill everything away from it. Um, and culture is many things. So I think the biggest challenge is that culture is a multifaceted concept and is is composed of many things. So you can't just really ask people, do you like your culture at work? Or do you like your team's culture? What, what does even culture mean? What does team mean, you know, for that for that matter? So I think that there's, um, a num there's a number of ways in which we've decided to tackle this. And, and the first one is looking at the Western um, culture, which is, um, Kind of a theoretic, theoretical approach from research uh, from academia just saying hey, these are three types of cultures and we know that one of them is seems better than the other ones information flows people are not you know you don't shoot the messenger you share information uh that's one aspect then within google was this 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 movement research um around psychological safety and kind of what does that mean and, and essentially for us, it means that I can dissent, I can disagree, and I know I'm not gonna get fired. I know that I can have a crazy idea and, and I can say it without feeling like my job is gonna be you know, hindered or I'm gonna have any kind of consequence. So that ability to kind of bring your ideas to the table is a big part of psychological safety. Then you have something that we hadn't measured before, which is belonging and inclusion. You can argue that the way people feel, how do they feel with their teammates, how do they feel about their organization as a whole, has a huge impact on, on their performance, on their desire to stay within that place, um, all kinds of other things. So we decided to add a couple, um, two sections, one on belonging and one on inclusion, uh, to see if these, these factors also impact the culture. So, so my point here is that because culture is so big, nebulous concept, we can take some liberties with it and start adding things. Maybe next year we'll look at, I don't know, because I can't think of it right now, but maybe some other aspect uh, about culture um, or about belonging, or maybe something about team dynamics. You know, team dynamics are also part of culture. So we can kind of play around with this concept. It's so, just ginormous. I mean, we could have an entire DevOps on just culture. So hopefully that kind of answers your question. Um, yeah. It, it, yeah. It does. 
that uh, yeah. that's a, a, a technical scientific term, ginormous. Uh, but yes, culture is ginormous. Cool. Uh, okay. So uh, I, I know at this moment, I just wanted to move the needle towards how these uh, you know, reports are being consumed, especially in you know, uh, the reports are being consumed in the market, right? Uh, when yeah, you sit in the boardroom, uh, not uh, design the report, or uh, on and under a different approach on how do you collect the reports and all, uh, data and all those things. Uh, you would go with some kind of perception, right? Okay, uh, looking into these kind of factors will create this kind of inputs, uh, no, all these kind of you know uh, impacts in the market, right? But uh, that could be some gap. Uh, so, from your perspective, I just wanted to understand, right? How does the market or the industry leaders consume these kind of reports today, and is there any gap that you feel that okay, these kind of you know uh, uh, these points are being uh, overlooked or neglected by the industry? I, I can start. Um, yeah. So uh, certainly, uh, you know, I feel like there's probably a lot of people who could benefit from reading the report uh, and understanding the research who who aren't yet. But change is slow, and it, uh, it changes slow within a company, changes really slow across a whole industry or range of industries. You know, the there's a lot of organizations, it, or let me put it this way, you know, there's this article uh, 10 plus years ago from Mark Andreessen, software is eating the world, right? Every, every company is a software company. Well, that was a brand new and controversial idea at the time and still isn't, you know, necessarily truth or, or broadly accepted. I think, um, bit by bit and with a big lurch because of, of COVID, companies are realizing that software is essential to their business. And then they have to start asking, okay, how do we, how do, we do that? And, uh, but you know, they may not know about us yet and these things take time. And uh, it, as an academic work, it's not something where we're gonna take out a Super Bowl ad. Uh, so there's an organic aspect to it. Certainly though, it's, it's spreading broadly and I think it's, it's spreading quickly and, and uh, we actually uh, in 2019 the research we looked at sort of awareness and we we declared that uh, DevOps had crossed the chasm and and certainly along you know the heels of DevOps as a term and an idea this particular body of work and, and Dora as as really a standard for integrity within the work has really gone far and wide. Uh, I think in terms of how the work is consumed, you know, it certainly there's there's a lot of of need for it in the sense of as we've talked about to someone like is my investment working? How do I how do I get good at software because I know I need to get good at software. So step one is that recognition that software matters. Step two is saying okay how do I make it good for me? Um, and one of the things that that I think has been a challenge for a long time is that like we really care about our business metrics. We care about our profitability and our our market share and things like that. And software's relationship to that has been known but kind of abstract. With the work and with the four key metrics, right? We have there's four golden metrics of software delivery: uh, two for speed, two for stability. I see those as leading indicators of the value that your software team is going to deliver to the company. And therefore, when we get the ear of, of the people who do write the checks, they're very interested in, in being able to say, yeah, I want my, my teams to, to really achieve at that level. Um, that said, culture is hard. And another thing that we are asking people 
especially in leadership positions, is is to look at a different kind of leadership and a different kind of culture than they may be used to. And so that can take time. So a lot of times the way this knowledge gets brought into an organization is through individuals, as it always will be. There's there's really a, a very sort of like uh, uh, almost religious aspect to it of people getting inspired and then bringing it along. So we see people you know, have some success at one organization, um, get a new opportunity somewhere else and then bring the door research and the DevOps practices into that next one. And it just keeps growing organically from there. Yeah, and, and, and I think there's the goal of, of the report is to provide this, this, you know, industry standard about what we know works. It's a long report. People might not have time to read it. So that's like one, one aspect of how like the information is out there. How is it is it being read? Who's reading it? And then what is happening after? Because just because the report exists doesn't mean that it's help it's driving change. The report is not driving change. People are driving change. And and that, like Dave said, takes a lot of time. And we usually see a um, when leadership is resistant, then it doesn't matter what happens at the bottom, it, it, they're gonna hit um, a eventually a block and things are gonna only move so much. So I think for for these for this work to to really make it into organizations, the buy has to be from the top and from the bottom and they have to work together. And they I think they have to understand that you can't change all the things at once. That is one of the things that, that we emphasize. If you try to do everything that's in the report, it's just not gonna work. But if you kind of choose one thing and, and focus on that and, and really try to see how to improve that one thing, then it becomes almost like a domino effect and you start to see the benefits. And then I think that's how the, the culture changes. That's how you actually see companies truly consuming because now they're consuming in a way that they're using, not just reading it and kind of, oh yeah, that's cool, but how does that relate to me? The great point about change and and creating that virtuous cycle. Uh, one thing that I see is it's kind of an anti-pattern sometimes is people will consume this information as kind of like a, a checklist. They'll say, okay, there's 30 something capabilities and I'm gonna check them all off and then I'm, I'm done with the DevOps. And I, I totally sympathize with that. I love checklists, but it doesn't work that way. And what we really uh, want people to understand is that the, the focus should be on the vectors. It's on the improvements that you make you know, anchoring on measuring what matters and improving those things. And all of those capabilities are a means to that end. So sort of the first and most important thing, it's almost like, well, you know, similar to how culture is the most important thing, though it's something that you can't necessarily do directly. When you're working with the report, it's like mindset about how you do this is the most important thing. But of course, the way you achieve that is by getting into those details uh, and, and finding, you know, today's bottleneck and working through it. Great. I think you kind of addressed my next question as well, uh, uh, Dave, to a certain extent, right? Uh, uh, but nevertheless, you know, if I can put it again, uh, if you have to uh, define in, a, uh, in, in, a, in just two or three words, how do you see this report? Either it's a book of rules or a framework that organizations can adopt to, or it's just a guidance slash good to know for organizations. Definitely a, a book of rules and you read it once and you're done. You're, you're DevOps. 
Um, yeah, it's you know it, it, part of the part of the whole thing that, that what makes DevOps wonderful and also infuriating sometimes is that it is very fluid, it is very flexible. You're never going to be done, and the spirit of continuous improvement is uh, is essential to the work itself. And that's one of the reasons why we do reports on an ongoing basis. Things change, we learn new things, and this is a great opportunity for me to plug the fact that. Uh, Daniela mentioned some of the deep dives we did this year on things like SRE, documentation, culture. Every report has different deep dives in different articles. So there's really great stuff in previous reports, even if uh, you've totally ingested the, the most recent. So I recommend that. But it's, I think it's it's very much uh, framework oriented or, or, or even just mindset oriented to say, um, you know, we, like Daniel was saying like, you know, we wanted to create something that says, we understand what the best practices are in general. Um, we understand how to measure our success at that. And those are, both of those are relatively new ideas, at least with any kind of rigor around it. And so we're coming out and, and asserting that. And then how do you get there? That is very much gonna vary company by company, team by team, month by month. And it's a matter of, you know, really aligning and continuously communicating to align on what are the goals and how do we, uh, you know, find success? How do we develop a culture of learning? And then trying some stuff. Um, we have some suggestions what might be worth trying, but it, it, every organization is going to have to do their own process of experimentation. I get your point there, but uh, no, just the kind of circling back to the point uh, Daniela mentioned in terms of how do you go with the research, right? Uh, you just mentioned every organization has its own culture, uh, their own transformation journey. It is not uh, common across; it could be unique, right? But when you do a data collection, it can uh, there would be multiple factors that would impact or you know uh, that has the kind of uh, variance uh, in the way the surveys are being collected, right? So, how do you uh, 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 take into account those vari variable factors, uh, uh, right? Uh, uh, you could have some, let's say, for an example as a minimal number of 10 samples that you're collecting, uh, right? Just for the sake of the, uh, this discussion, I'm not saying that that's the actual number, uh, right? But let's say if you're getting samples from 10 different members, they would have their own variable factors, right? How do you carefully negate those variable factors and, and bring in a broader perspective to the market? Yeah, I think from, from if I understand your question correctly, so how do we make sure that the data that we collect is, you know, trustworthy and what happens when we have data from all these different people saying different things, how do we kind of make sense of it? And yeah. one way in which we do that is that when we ask questions, we don't ask one question. We ask many questions. So for example, our section on documentation is three blocks and it has um, different, it has questions about best practices in terms of documentation. It has questions about, you know, what do you, what, um, what, um, what, sorry, what, what documents you have access to and a bunch of other things. So essentially by having a, a large number of questions that are tackling one specific concept, you're able to create a composite score essentially and just kind of average all those questions together. And that's one of the ways in which we Kind of deal with all that extra noise because you're right this is people's it's a survey it's self-report people have their own biases their own beliefs the way even the way they understand the question as best as we write it you know they might understand the question a different way um but it is the best tool we have 
So for example, one argument could be, couldn't we just look at logs data or just like actual behavioral data and see what the systems are doing? Let's just look, let's just look at the systems. They don't, they're not biased, but they're limited, right? Like a system has boundaries in a way that a person might not. You might be able to see documentation in a specific aspect of a company, but a person might have a, a broader kind of understanding of, of that. You can't really ask a system about culture. And if we're collecting data from around the world, every company may have a different way of collecting this, you know, logs data, this uh, system data. So how do then you create one database that has all of this data and they all mean the same thing? So I think when we look at the alternatives, the survey is the best we have. We can't really run experiments and have, I mean, that would be amazing, right? If you had a company that decided we're going to do DevOps here and we're not going to do DevOps here and we're going to pin these two together and see what happens, that would be one way. But that will also be a very small sample and it will only tell us about what's happening in that specific company. For that to work, you would have to do it in a much more larger scale and the amount of coordination and money that it would take, it would just be um, un unfeasible. But, but you know, you, you do are right, you're right that there's some limitations and, and we've worked really hard to mitigate those uh, without ignoring them. Got it, got it, yeah. Do, uh, uh, excuse me for a sec, do you, do you ever use the metrics from support calls uh, from uh, the users of the products that are being built? Say that one more time. Using the metrics from the number of support calls to have the end user, shall we say, uh, someone, another development team, you know, someone in HR, someone throughout the organization, use the metrics based on the number of phone calls and the amount of time to get, you, you know, from a support perspective to get them actually up and running. We, we don't. And so the data is completely anonymized. So we have no idea where these people are coming, like where they work and where they work, what, what company, what those specifics, who they are, we don't have that. And that is on purpose. We want people to feel comfortable really telling us how they feel, what they think. And the moment you, you attach a name to that, people just don't want to tell you the truth. So we, that, that's why we've, we've separated those things and just anonymized everything about the survey. Cool. Uh, okay. Uh, so slightly moving ahead, uh, uh, right? Uh, in 2020 report, you included Doga included actually two additional topics. One was on SRE, which is kind of a technical evolution that was happening uh, in the market. Uh, then uh, impact of this COVID, uh, which actually you know had an impact across the globe. Uh, how do you see the, these reports evolving in future? Uh, these kind of, you know, for, is Doga going to add few uh, few other areas as well as you uh, get to 2022 and beyond? I think we, so we look at what's happening in the community. We see what trends, what things are important, what, what people are talking about, you know? Um, so I think that link between Dora and and the world and what's happening and, and understanding and being in sync and not not losing that connection is fundamental to the work. The community knows best. The moment we close that that door and don't have that communication, we will lose touch and the report will lose its value. 
So, so I think the, 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 the report and the survey evolves with the community. So we kind of get that feedback. And that's why it's so important for people to, to complete the survey. The more people that do the survey, the better, because the more data points we have, we might be missing patterns or things if people don't do the survey. So the community engagement is, is absolutely fundamental to the, the life of the report. Um, so I think that's, in my, in my eyes, that's, that's how I see the report evolving. Uh, Dave, do you have any thoughts on this? Mostly just, yeah, plus one. Uh, I mean, I think uh, the history of the report has done a great job of keeping an eye on the trends like you're talking about, what's the pulse of, of the technology community? You know, we update the, the core data every time, but we also then explore new things. I was particularly impressed with the way we were able to study COVID in a very sort of timely way and came out with uh, some very interesting findings, including one of my favorites, uh, which uh, is that teams that had a generative culture were able to perform better uh, and, and, and reduce things like burnout during COVID. So uh, it makes me, my, my takeaway from that is that culture is something like an insurance factor almost. You know, we don't know what the next problem is going to be. We don't know what the next global crisis is going to be, but there's always going to be something. Uh, that's something we say in SRE. There will always be incidents, but we can prepare for it in the abstract uh, by developing that generative trusting culture. Yeah, I think, I think uh, kind of to follow up on that, we, the way we worked has changed. We're not going to go back to how things were before March 2020. So understanding how this hybrid or how working from home impacts burnout, we wouldn't know that before asking these questions about COVID. But that answer is relevant now moving forward because we're not going back to the office the way we we did before. So how do we address that and how do we, you know, make shifts in, in, in culture or how people feel, how do, how do we ensure that people feel good about what they're doing so that burnout doesn't become a problem? Really important lesson for, for leadership, you know, when, when something like this happens, of course, the first instinct is, how do we make sure the lights stay on? How do we make sure the generators keep running? Uh, how, how can we get people connected to their VPNs so they can keep working? All that obviously is essential to running the business. But, you know, day two, our question has to be, how do we keep our, our human culture running? How do we create that sense of, of community trust and inclusion when people aren't, don't have a water cooler to gather around and get to know each other? And one of the things that's a continuous finding in the DORA research is that that sense of community and trust is essential to the quality of the software itself. Cool. Uh, I think uh, I, I am done with all the questions that I had. Probably I would you know, give an opportunity to others. Garima, if you have any questions, please go ahead. And before Garima goes ahead, uh, people in the audience, if you have any questions, feel free to raise your hand or you know type in your questions on the chat and we can get that addressed. Over to you, Garima. Yeah. Excellent. And I think uh, the purpose of this discussion today was to actually um, cover three questions, basically how these reports are produced, how they're consumed, what is that value uh, to the ecosystem which uh, we see from these reports. The reason why uh, this is timely, because we see a lot of reports and surveys coming in. And, you know, um, from a community perspective, we are more interested to see 
how we could contribute in this. So if, uh, let's say, uh, Dave and Daniela, you can talk a little bit more about like communities like us, which are uh, uh, like homegrown communities. We have many chapters here in Canada. We want to participate and contribute to this. So one way you mentioned that we should add uh, in uh, our you know inputs to the survey, but are there any other ways to contribute? Well, I'll say that uh, having a community of practice is something that we have actually studied directly through our research. And so this is really great that you've, you're you know, gathering people, uh, sharing experiences, sharing things that worked, sharing things that didn't. Uh, in terms of you know, being part of this, this movement and spreading the word, Absolutely. Take the survey, uh, share share the survey, get your leaders to to pay attention. And I think that's one of the, the biggest things that, that this community can do is let, you know, and I, I'm going to, you know, there's a few points that I, I, I may be uh, tiresome about, but one of them is like, we can measure this stuff. That's kind of a surprise. And anyone who's been, you know, like a technology leader for 30 years has been through the ringer of trying to measure software, trying to have, you know, uh, the reason Agile exists is because we're terrible at projecting, pre predicting deadlines. You know, we, a lot of this stuff just, we found that the kind of ways that we might impose rigor in other disciplines don't work for us for whatever reason. I have some hypotheses, but the point is we actually now have, through this work, developed a really rigorous way to measure and improve software development and letting those stakeholders know that such a thing exists and that it, it actually is good for us as practitioners and is good for them as our stakeholders. Uh, I think that's a really valuable thing. So, you know, again, I, I think of this as a, a, a philosophical revolution. And so we are all part of, of that movement and, and spreading the word. Um, it, in our community, we may have been knowing about this stuff and thinking about it for a long time. But, you know, I work with a lot of customers and you know, these are customers who are coming to a cloud to buy cloud computing. They haven't necessarily heard about this. And so there's still a huge opportunity to, to, to evangelize. Thank you, Dave. And we also have some more people here uh, we, who specifically are writing this surveys. And uh, this is the reason why we invited them. Um, Mofuzer, I see you uh, also in here. Do you have a question? Yes. Hey, Dave. Uh, so, who are the who are the folks that really uh, got benefited from the Dora, or the enterprises that really excelled with the Dora report? Well, there's some um, there's some great case studies, and in fact, I'm going to say uh, that you should uh, you should check out something that is not released yet. But we at Google uh, have are doing a project called the DevOps Awards. Uh, where a number of organizations that have benefited from embracing DevOps practices are going, uh, we're going to be publishing their success stories. And I believe, Daniela, I don't know if you know the dates on this. I think it's like, like today almost. It's like right now that we're putting that out there. Um, but, um, but but certainly, no. There are some great uh, case studies out there that you can uh, that you can find about organizations transforming through through DevOps. Um, and, and some of them are, are very well known, things like Capital One or, or Target. Um, some of them are, are newer case studies that we're kind of just getting started with and that, that you'll hear about in, in the DevOps Awards. Um, I don't know if I have, I, I, I am restricted in a lot of ways about things that I can mention because, you know, the folks that I know of are our customers and they haven't approved me to talk about them. But uh, I can say that this stuff works. 
So, so Dave, uh, I know uh, there are a lot of good uh, case studies. They're actually across the street uh, from my headquarter, Capital One. Oh, uh, nice. And uh, I would say that there's a lot of folks uh, that we collaborate uh, there as well. So what can you just feel the trust coming off across the street? You can feel the productivity and trust, psychological you safety. It. You got it. What, I would say one thing that in the past, uh, so I come from SAP background and um, I always hear that, we well, can do uh, DevOps for SAP. And uh, we, we are proving that wrong. We, we're deploying every, every couple of minutes, uh, you know, for our newer system, the newer, newer one. Even when the legacy, right, we're releasing almost every day. Excellent. And that's, that is a, a great message about DevOps. And you'll see this in, 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 in the work itself is that any organization can improve our four key metrics. We found to be reliable indicators of predictive of business value across any industry, any kind of software. So, um, you know, there are some kinds of organizations, a scrappy startup in a garage that might say once a day, that's super slow. But most larger organizations are going to be like, you know, blown away by how you're deploying that fast. And you're proof that wherever speed you're at, you can go faster. Daniel, do you have any thoughts about kind of applicability of this work to different kinds of organizations? No, just second what, what you said. It, 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 it's kind of amazing, actually, that we see a consistency in predictability across types of industry. It's not that, oh, well, tech industries really see the benefit, but manufacturing doesn't or something else, retail doesn't. Everyone benefits, uh, which is kind of an outstanding um, kind of realization. Yeah. Excellent, Deb. Thank you, Daniela. Thank you. And uh, we also have, uh, I think, Chitrita, if I'm pronouncing uh, I'm right. Do you have any questions to the Dave and Daniela? Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, yeah. Hi, everyone. I'm Chitrita, um, Daniela, Dave. It was, it was lovely hearing uh, from you both. I am at the moment working with Garima to uh, get a survey uh, run for uh, the CDF uh, community. Um, so uh, I had one small question around the community of practice. So when you talk about the community, um, you know, how can we make these surveys more inclusive that, you know, um, that it reaches out to all the various stakeholders within this community of practice and and in um, and and based on all the surveys and the reports that you've looked at, uh, I mean, what are those marginalized uh, stakeholders from where you do not get a lot of inputs into the surveys? How can we outreach those? How can we move to those areas and you know look out for answers from them? That's that's such a good question. And I don't have a good answer, but I mean, one one key example is that there's barely any women completing the survey because there's there's not that many women developers, right? So mm -hmm. so some of these questions just highlight highlight discrepancies within the industry itself, and that is that is itself a problem. Um, I think my answer to you is unfortunately a boots in the ground. Kind of approach like you have to go to those places 
see, see who may not know what kinds of organizations. I mean, like I mentioned, we don't measure people who don't know about DevOps. So that right there and then, I would argue, is a vulnerable, vulnerable population in its, in its own way. Um, but I think evangelizing and having these kinds of conversations, having, having you know, leading experts talk about the importance of it and, and really emphasizing how, it's like, like anything, right? Your opinion matters. We want to hear from you. When people feel heard and seen, that goes a long way. And the only way that happens is by face-to-face, -face, um, you know, engagement. So have there been any examples, Daniela, that has really helped you um, with some, with, with a larger outreach with these surveys, you know? Um, are there sessions that you kind of um, direct towards, say, um, you know, a technolo women technologists, or, you know, you do outreach with the legal teams also, you know, software legal, um, anything, anything, that, any example that you can throw our way? No, I, I don't. It's, again, a very good question. I don't have um, current insight into the specific email list and, and who, how we're, we're reaching those, those, those um, populations. I don't know if we're making, I mean, to be honest, I don't know if we're making a cons concernable effort to, like you said, go and specifically get at, you know, women in technology and these specific outlets. I can't answer that, um, but something to consider for sure. Thank you, Daniela. This is actually a really good question. And um, this is also a good question for from a community perspective. It's not only reports. It's also, you know, how do you increase participation in the community? So one thing which we have done is uh, we have created license chapters because, you know, well, sometimes what we see is that licensing with these uh, marginalized communities and the, the way we see participation in the community of practice, this is one way to address this and, you know, kind of bring that change. But yeah, I think uh, I agree with Daniela that there is more work to be done and we are continuously learning as we go along. Um, I see Hose has a question. Uh, I see you on video. Yes. How are you? Thank you, Daniela and Dave for sharing those really important insights. One question. Uh, I, I see that uh, there is uh, very little participation from Central America, Caribbean, and South America. And I don't know if you are thinking in, in a way to get more organic participation for the next uh, dollar reports. I know that uh, in those uh, regions, uh, there is a lot of DevOps work uh, and adoption uh, across them. But I don't know why, uh, I'm an, uh, I am a, a community evangelist. Uh, I, I lead to community here in, in South America, but I don't know why the people is, is not uh, tending to participate in this kind of important reports for, for them, for the organization, because uh, with that, they are uh, more uh, aware of what they are going to uh, achieve with monitoring these uh, important metrics. So what are you thinking about the participation in these regions? 
No, I, I really love these questions because they're they're like just getting right at one thing that we're not doing that well, that well. So I really appreciate that call out. Um, I think one one aspect is that we don't translate the survey. So okay. that by itself limits who can take the survey. You have to, you know, know English well enough to answer the questions. So that is that is something that we we have it 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 will increase the effort significantly to have the survey translated. However, I can see the value in in doing that. And I can and and I know and Dave, I think you can I think there are more initiatives in South America. I know there's like one in Brazil and there's certain other um, initiatives that are happening to, to kind of bring DevOps into those yeah, areas. Okay. There's a lot okay. of DevOps community and activity in um, Brazil is a particular hotspot, but all of Latin America. And um, just, I know within my like team, we're expanding our advocacy into Latin America, but it has absolutely been underserved uh, to, to this point. And you're right. We, there, there, we need to work on that. Um, there's so many, you know, I, I, I can just speak you know, to, to Danielle's point about we're, we're, we're not where we want to be. You know, the, the ratio of like developer advocates we have in different areas versus the number of developers in those areas, it should be equal, but it's not. And it's something we, we want to work on. Um, and please, you know, help us spread the word about Dora, but also help us you know, keep us accountable. We, we're not doing enough in your area. You're right. Well, any, any help that you need, I'm here to, to help. Fantastic. Thank you. Cool. Uh, I think we are just about time. Uh, so any further questions from the audience? One last uh, opportunity to ask questions directly to Dave and Daniela. Um, I can go. Um, sorry. Yeah, probably we can have one last year. Sure. Yeah. J just a thought, uh, you know, and, and it may be a little spin off from what we're discussing today. I mean, who are the movers and shakers in DevOps? I mean, we, we do have some very new organizations, you know, the the principles of having DevOps is very old. It's from the 1980s, uh, you know, but who are the movers and shakers, uh, you know, who guide the trends in DevOps, um, specifically data ops, if you can speak to. I do not have a lot of context on data ops, I'm afraid. Um, what I would probably do is cheat and go look on Twitter and find someone who's a data ops type person and find their communities. Um, I don't, I'll be honest, I don't know if there are like data ops conferences yet. Um, it's a topic that comes up somewhat at DevOps days where, you know, I'm at a lot of them. Daniela, have we studied data ops yet? Yet, you hear me say? Yeah, I don't think so. And guys, if you're looking for your first conference for data ops, yeah. one here in Canada, June 28th, Data Ops Summit Canada. We, I personally invite both of you <laughs> to join that conference. This is the reason I think we are starting these conversations, that many of these terms are just kind of mushrooming from yeah. the bottom and we need to converge. We need to kind of set the perspective and we don't have to struggle all the way that the, the way DevOps did, right? So I think we have key learnings to share. So I, I, I believe that Dave and Daniela, you would be a great contribution to the summit. 
and hopefully uh, yeah we can uh, move the needle broaden the conversation from devops to data ops how is, uh, how we can go with that it's a great point about you know sharing these ideas i mean one of the things that we've observed is that some of this stuff has evolved independently and often finds a convergent finding right you know at SRE evolved independently of DevOps, and there's a ton of, of, of similarity. Um, and the psychological safety research, and, and so, much, so many of these things end up kind of finding the same sort of truths underneath. And uh, you know, the more we can, can, can abstract out those things that are going to be common across all these different endeavors, the more we can bring what we've learned about uh, DevOps to data ops, or who knows, maybe even the completely unrelated fields as far as we can tell. For example, the, the culture work that Daniela mentioned about that Ron Westrom did had nothing to do with software. Uh, it was being done in things like uh, hospitals and air traffic control, you know, places where outcomes are pretty important. And what we did is we then applied that to software and found that it works for software as well. Cool. Uh, I think we are about that time to close. So. Uh, just any final points from Dave and Daniela uh, from your end to conclude? No, thank you so much for having us. This was super fun. Thanks so much for having us. Check out g.co slash DevOps for lots more information, resources. Uh, you'll find links to the report. You'll find an interactive capabilities uh, diagram, um, and you'll find uh, information about how to put this stuff into practice uh, in your tools and in your organizations. Great. And uh, to Dave and Daniel, thank you so much for you know accepting our invite and you know, uh, agreeing to uh, for this conversation. It was really insightful, uh, right? As I said, you know, these are some things that uh, the community uh, members may not be know uh, knowing. It should be you know something that I thought you know uh, knowing these things would help them to appreciate the reports better and you know uh, imply them into the, into their day to day work. Thank you so much again for you know uh, agreeing for this discussion. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you all. Bye-bye. Thank you.